0: so mark yes on our prince of egypt episode a couple of weeks ago okay we talked about what i imagine is the most anticipated new show of this fall i can't imagine anything being more exciting it's certainly not Like the new Roseanne minus Roseanne show. The Connors. It's certainly not the new Matt Weiner show for Amazon. Don't know that one. The Romanovs. Oh, definitely actually not that one. Yeah, (laughs) I don't think anybody's watching that. Some people are watching that. Um, No, the most anticipated show of the fall season is clearly CBS's Sunday night gangbuster. God friended me. Oh my god, I've only seen one full episode. I have watched every episode so far. There I don't have been know, three. I don't know how you've suffered through that. The show is madness, mostly because I order pizza every time I watch it. This show
1: fundamentally misunderstands everything and, yet, and here's The, the best thing about
0: this show is that this show understands the most annoying things about Facebook in its current incarnation. Yeah. So Brandon Michael Hall plays an atheist podcast host and... One day he gets a friend request from a Facebook account claiming to be God. The thing is, he gets notifications every time God, like, recommends a friend to him. Or he gets a notification one time when God changes his profile picture. And I'm like, you have correctly captured the worst Facebook notifications. You can turn those off, too. Oh, I do. But for some reason, Brandon Michael Hall is unable to do this or to, like, he's tried unfriending the God account. He has not tried blocking it. Which seems like the obvious solution.
1: Yeah, there's so many ways to go about this, and even if you don't want to unfriend it, you can turn off push notifications.
0: Who has push notifications on Facebook still on their phones? So, Brandon Michael Hall... In this, like I said, atheist podcast host, and the God account, like, recommends friends to him, and he, like, tracks them down and basically has to, like, help them in their lives. Like, he babysits somebody's kid so she can interview for a job, and he, uh, helps a private detective <laughs> find new meaning in his life.
1: Yeah. The third episode, the happy ending, is a child who's Mom goes to jail, getting adopted by a strange older white man who's a former cop that he's never met. It's the husband of the kid's former social worker. Yeah, and this Um, is... The social worker is deceased. Yeah, and this is supposed to be like, everything worked out, we're all so happy, I'm like... Okay, this man needs to be vetted, at the very least, before being allowed to adopt a child. Um, he's, he was a former police officer. Police officers have never done anything wrong. Oh, of course not. Oh my god, it drove me insane that the show's building up to this emotional climax.
0: Uh, what's funny is that this show, in a lot of ways, is structured like a CBS crime procedural. Where you start off, you get, like, a suspect, you track them down, you figure out what the deal is, and then you need to resolve it in some way. It's exactly like your NCIS or CSI or whatever, except that there are no murders, and it's really brightly lit, and baby god is on Facebook.
1: Yeah, also, it is too brightly lit. It's all washed out. Everything is washed
0: out. And there's a journalist who works for essentially BuzzFeed. I like it when she goes six weeks without publishing anything for her like knockoff BuzzFeed That's what I was gonna say. And then her boss gives her a one week deadline. She's like, you need to publish something in the next week, but gives her no directions about what to write. It's just like, write whatever you want, which I'm sure is how editors work.
1: Yeah, and then
0: she publishes
1: one thing after a six week hiatus and gets in the running for a promotion immediately after. Well, To be fair she and her boss are the
0: only people who work at her company.
1: (laughs) I found it so funny when I watched episode three and you pointed out this was the first
0: time we'd seen any other people in this building. Yeah, Um, maybe one day we'll have to do like a special bonus episode talking about some of the romance of Godfriended Me. Like we can talk about Rakesh and what's her name. Uh, Rakesh is Brandon Michael Hall's friend who gets set up with somebody because their parents are really traditional and want to arrange a marriage. And they show up being like, I don't want to have an arranged marriage. And then they go to do this just to like... their parents happy and they're like actually you're really cool what if we like dated but didn't tell our parents because we don't want to give them the satisfaction So like we could talk about that and then we could talk about like i want to throw something at you and i want to see what you think okay so there's brandon michael hall he's the lead he's the atheist podcaster who is apparently a big hit yeah and then there's this gal kara who works for knockoff buzzfeed mm-hmm. i think the show might be suggesting that they would be good together no by which i mean Everyone around them keeps telling them that they're into each other. And they keep saying, no. This is three episodes in.
1: This has happened probably five times. Yeah, her best friend has commented on how attractive he is more than once within a one-hour episode. In the way that is the I'm-not-a-human-being-person sidekick character.
0: Nobody in this show is a human being.
1: Yeah, that's true. But... Kinda highly recommend as a ridiculous show to watch. Make sure you have friends there with you. And probably pizza. And yeah, that definitely helps. Alcohol doesn't hurt either. No. But would recommend? Yeah, it's like venom. It's not good, but it's weird. Yeah. Okay, now that we've talked about TV for maybe the first time,
0: I think it's time for Heart of Podness. I'm Mark and I'm gay. And I'm Will and I'm a ginger. And this is a podcast where we delve deep into cinematic love stories to answer the age-old question, does Hollywood romance actually make any sense? And are these people actually dateable? Or even likable? It doesn't matter if the romance is a main plot or if it's a one-scene flirtation. We will dig in and see what's there. And this week we're doing our first movie from this century in a couple of weeks. Edgar Wright's 2010 video game slash upstart band slash interdimensional travel slash Canadian dramedy, Scott Pilgrim versus the world.
1: So, in terms of the likability we discussed, there's none for me in this movie. I don't think I liked any character in you're, this movie. Kind of not supposed to. But I enjoyed the movie. Yeah, I don't know that you're
0: supposed to like the no. characters themselves.
1: Yeah, at one point, Ramona says, like, Scott, you're the nicest guy I ever dated. And I was like, really I mean we kind of see that
0: that's the point and of the then I like, see all the turns yeah things. and
1: then I'm like okay the bars are really low for this
0: but he has done nothing to redeem himself. Yeah, so we are new to this movie. I watched it for the first time last week, and you finished it, what, 45 minutes ago? <laughs> Approximately. So, to help us out, we brought in a uh, Scott Pilgrim aficionado, my friend Danny. Oh, hi. <laughs> so, uh, Danny, you suggested this movie for us, for the show. So why don't you, like, make the pitch for Scott Pilgrim?
2: Um, I probably... I actually <laughs> saw it in theaters, because it hit me at a good time in high school, and... I I don't really know. I like video games. I couldn't really explain why I saw it. It's sort of just what I did. And uh, it stuck with me. And now I've watched it probably 15 times and I'm trapped. But I still enjoy it. And I watched it today.
1: Yeah, I liked the movie, but I didn't like anyone in it. And that's a fine—that's a hard line to walk. I mean, because even the characters that are set up to be the likable ones. Like it, who? Like the gay roommate who's supposed to be the like fun, cool guy. I don't
0: know that he's supposed to be likable, though.
1: I mean, he's supposed to be the, like, comic relief and stuff, but I just kept being like, oh, yeah, 2010. Because it's just the most 2010 representation of gay characters.
0: Oh, absolutely. This is uh, Kieran Culkin as his yeah. Wallace.
1: So I spent a lot of time just being like, uh, yes, that time in our media.
0: Yeah. He's
2: a fun character, though. He is. All the jokes really are super 2010, like, especially in regards to his roommate. Like, each one, you, it lands, and you're like, oh, well... Okay.
1: Yeah, the line where Scott like pointed out the hip- hypocrisy of Wallace cheating with Jimmy on Scott's sister, and he says, I don't make the gay rule book. I was like, You don't get to pull a moral high card here if you are actively engaged in cheating, but it's still bad. But like, also at the same time, you don't get a pass. A uh, character I liked, Anna Kendrick.
0: You liked Anna Kendrick Yes, Scott's sister?
1: Yeah. Um, Also, real quick, so many of these actors went on to now have gotten withs. Like, if they were all of the standing they are now, it would be with Chris Evans, with Anna Kendrick,
0: with Aubrey Plaza. With Brie Larson, with Allison... Yeah, maybe uh, Allison Pills on the border there. Yeah. Um, With Mary Elizabeth Winstead. Oh, yeah, because she did 10 Cloverfield Lane, which she got a lot of buzz for that. That's a great movie. Yeah. I really like that movie. John Goodman should have been nominated for an Oscar for that movie. (laughs) Scary as shit.
1: Brie Larson was
0: really good in this. Yeah, she was fun. I would watch more about her. Yeah, me too. What? Brie Larson, a good actor? Hot take. (laughs) Hot take. And in terms of reception, this movie occupied kind of a weird space where it is beloved in certain quarters. And like it was pretty well reviewed, but basically nobody went to see it it premiered actually at Comic-Con in 2010. This was like the unbelieve this was the year that like built the Comic-Con legend because so there was a Scott Pilgrim panel and it was a couple weeks before the movie was officially released and then at the end of the panel Edgar Wright was like, "Yo, we gave some of you this card with a like 8-bit Scott Pilgrim head on it. Come with us to a movie theater and we're going to show it to you." So that was one and that was the same Comic-Con where at the Marvel panel they unveiled like the avengers team like all the actors and stuff at the same thing it's like that's when that legend of like huge things happen at comic con was kind of built was
1: chris evans at both panels i guess so so he had already been captain america at
0: this point he had been cast he he shot this before he shot captain america the first avenger but he had probably shot that by the time this movie premiered okay this is after his star making turn in the fantastic four
1: Yeah, because I was thinking if he'd already come out in Captain America, he would have been higher billed in this movie. He's so fun in
0: this movie, though. I like him a lot. Me too. I was shocked at how low on the billing he was. Yeah, I mean, he's coming towards the end there. He is... Coming off of Rise of the Silver Surfer, some weird rom-coms that he did. And this is kind of him swinging back in.
1: Yeah. Oh, my God. Rise of the Silver Surfer.
0: I have not seen that one.
1: I think I actually watched that one. And boy, is that a movie that
2: happened. (laughs) I saw it in theaters also.
1: (laughs) Oh, did you? (laughs) I saw too many bad movies in theaters. I was a big... blockbuster straight into on-demand kid oh yeah because the nice transition was like my parents were already used to paying for things at blockbuster so moving to paying for on-demand like now i am like you expect me to pay money to rent this movie but at the time it was still easy to justify like paying to rent movies so i could watch more of the big name ones without having to pay for a ticket price to see Silver Surfer.
0: Well, I'm sure that uh, Tim story and the rest of the crew appreciates your contribution to the rise of the Silver Surfer. I helped it rise, Will. That's still a weird title for that movie. It should be like Fantastic Four. Galactus is coming, you maniacs! W- weirdly was not in the trailer. I guess there wasn't a cool Galactus visual to use when it
2: was a cloud. I- I've watched that movie out from my memory. It's a- I just remember when they're chasing him through the sub. Or no. The- the tunnel? I don't know. That's it. That's where I stop. That's all I have.
1: Yeah, I barely remember anything except that there was a silver guy on a silver surfboard.
0: I wonder how much money that movie made. I'm gonna check real fast.
2: Not much, I'm guessing. I do know that Scott Pilgrim made like half of its budget, I think. Yeah, so
0: Scott Pilgrim had a budget of sixty million and it made thirty one in domestic box office. So not amazing. <laughs> oh boy. Even with international, it did not make back its money. So this movie was not a huge success, <laughs>
1: you could say.
0: <laughs> yeah, it opened at number 5. It was an August release too, which is not a great sign. Yeah. The kind of August dumping ground. It opened at number 5 on August 13th, 2010, behind number 1 The Expendables, number 2 Eat Pray Love. Number three, The Other Guys in its second week. Number four, Inception in its fifth week. Because Inception was a rolling blockbuster that summer.
1: I think I saw it more than once in theaters, for sure. I
0: didn't catch it until September because I was, like, traveling or something. And I what I remember about that viewing was I went to see Inception, and it was, like, in the tiny theater on the side, the one that they, like, barely use. And I was seeing trailers for movies that had already come and gone from the theaters <laughs> by the time I saw Inception. That's amazing. I know it, one of them was Charlie St. Cloud. What's that movie? I think it's a Nicholas Sparks one. Oh,
1: is that a Zephyron movie? Might be in it.
0: Yeah. Um, Fantastic Four, Rise of the Silver Surfer, on the other hand, it made $131 million. That's what was expensive. the budget for One hundred and thirty. million. It, like, exactly yeah. made its money back domestically. And Which then it made is... another hundred and fifty-seven in the foreign box office.
1: Yeah. That's still a failure in some ways.
0: It's not amazing, but it's not, like, dreadful. No,
1: I mean, it's no bomb, but it's still, like... Because you have to factor in there was more than 130 spent with marketing and everything. True. So with International, they did make money, but in terms of domestic, I don't think they would have recouped everything.
0: No, certainly. And they did stop making those movies. Yeah. I think the fact that no one liked them also played into that part too. What? (laughs) I'm pretty sure they were huge cultural touchstones. At the very least, I saw Thing Hands in the store for a while.
1: That's just because kids love to buy things that let them punch things.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know they took the Hulk Hand mold and just (laughs) redid it. Just spray painted. (laughs) Pretty much, yeah.
1: I will say, Scott Pilgrim was actually really big in my high school, so I was kind of shocked that it was a flop.
0: The movie or the comics?
1: The movie, yeah. I guess it was because of the people I ran with. Like, it was a lot of artsy kids. I had a friend who was super into pop punk as a genre, and she was a big fan of this movie, for sure. So, I was surprised, because I've always heard about it, too. Like, everyone knows this movie, so I was actually really shocked at how little it had made in theaters. It has
0: its, like, devoted fans, but it had very little cultural impact when it came out. Like I mentioned just now and last week, this is based on a series of graphic novels by Brian Lee O'Malley, who is a Canadian cartoonist, and they chart the story of Scott Pilgrim fighting the seven evil exes of Ramona Flowers. And in the comics, it takes about a year. Uh, In the movie, it takes maybe, I don't know, a week or two.
2: Really quick.
1: At least... Three, because she
0: changes her color every week and a half, and she goes through three hair colors. Good point, good point. Edgar Wright was hired for this off of the success of Shaun of the Dead, but he made Hot Fuzz before going and doing this.
1: Uh, Hot Fuzz. Have you watched that, Will? I have not seen Hot Fuzz. We should watch Hot Fuzz. That was the first R-rated movie I ever watched. Ooh. Like, in
0: general or in theaters?
1: No, in general. I think I was, like, 12 when I watched it. And I watched an R movie before my sister because my parents had- Like,
0: literally before or younger than she did?
1: Before. Because my parents had kind of given up on some aspects of parenting by the time I rolled around. Danny, what was the first
2: R-rated movie you saw? I, I couldn't tell you. I watched everything at my friend Peter's house who lived two like minutes away from me. And I'll go over to his house and watch. I watched my first PG-13 was Jaws. I vividly remember that. Was Men in Black or no? No, no way Men in Black was <laughs> no. R. No, it's probably PG. <laughs> yeah, I don't remember. It was definitely there. It was definitely at that house that I watched my first R-rated movie, but I really have no idea what it was.
1: What was yours, Will?
2: I don't know. I know the first R-rated movie I saw
0: in theaters was Frost Nixon.
1: Ugh. You're the worst. (laughs) To the
0: surprise of no one. (laughs) Oh my
1: god. I saw it with my mom. That's a terrible first R movie because it's just because they say f*** more than once. I stand by that movie. I'm sure it's a good movie. I haven't seen it, but it's a bad R movie to start with because it's R for all the wrong reasons. It's on brand for you, though. It's very on brand It's very on brand.
0: Yeah, I don't know what the first one I saw would have been. It still might be
2: Frost Nixon.
1: (laughs) I remember going to see The Happening in theaters, and that was like, I wasn't... 17 yet, but they still carded my mom to prove like I to got let me like in a year
0: ago. I forget what it was.
1: And I was I was so shocked. I think actually no, it was my sister that had to bring me in cuz I was like 15 and she was 17 or something like that. And we watched the happening and boy was that not worth the <laughs> effort that it took to pull a card out in. of a wallet. It wasn't even sneaking in because you can go in with a guardian. Oh right, yeah, yeah. But it just like the effort it took my sister to reach into her purse pull out her ID to show it was too much effort to go see the happening.
0: The only time I brought in somebody who was under 17 was when Mora and I saw Argo, and I brought her in. She wasn't 17 by the time Argo came out? She was probably, like, about to turn 17.
1: How old is Mora? I, like, am She's I... two
0: years younger than I am, but her birthday's in November.
1: Okay, wow. Uh, Argo f- was an
0: October release.
1: I feel old now. You're an old man. I am. Yeah, you're basically dead. I'm aged. So, uh... <laughs> On that note, (laughs) before Mark dies on us, (laughs) we should move on. Yeah. So every episode, as you know, we break down a movie's romantic plotline into five points that best exemplify the story, the romance, all that. Um, Danny, since you're our guest, why don't you guide us through the five points of this movie? Scott Pilgrim versus the world. Yeah,
2: so I guess the first part, I guess, is their meat cute slash dream hallucination whatever it is
0: there's a lot to unpack there yeah so the movie kind of starts off first of all we all know i have mixed feelings about when you change a company's logo for this like i was very anti the b movie change where they add in the b that pops the balloon of the dreamworks kid i was not a fan (laughs) of that i'm kind of ambivalent leaning towards no on the Shrek ears added to the S's in DreamWorks and SKG. I love that one. I lean towards no. But I really like this one, where it started with like, what do you think, like a sixteen-bit yeah, universal the, logo.
2: Yeah, the music and everything—it felt sort. It sort of sets the tone for the whole movie, which is like exactly what they're going for. Yeah, there's a yeah. very video
0: gamey aesthetic, as well as the comic booky one, as well as the music one. There's a lot of stuff thrown into <laughs> aesthetics this, <laughs> thrown into this big stew pot. I think it was actually I am literally miming stirring a big stew pot, like I'm Edgar Wright <laughs> over my cauldron of Scott Pilgrimness. I think changing the
1: logo on this movie was a really good choice. Yeah. Because it put you in the video game mindset for a movie that is live action. So before you see it, you're not shocked at the video game touches.
0: And they play with that a lot. I think one of my favorite things about this is as an adaptation of a comic, I love the visualizations of sound effects.
1: Yes. Those are
0: really cool. And they're really well done. Yeah, one of the first times we see them is when Scott's band... Um, I'm going to mess up the name. What is it called? Sex
1: bob Sex
0: bob is... Practicing, and we see Alison Pill doing like clanging her drumsticks, going one, two, three, four, and we see the words coming out.
2: Yeah, it's really cool. And we say
0: the same thing like phone ringing phones, like travel
2: through a room. They do the bass line a few times, which I really like. The sex bombs are on Spotify. I listen to them today. Are they really?
0: Yeah,
2: (laughs) a lot of the music was written by like cool
0: or like at least prominent bands. Mm -hmm. Like, I know Beck wrote some of their music,
2: really? Yeah, that's
0: awesome. The fight against the twins. Uh, it's Beck versus some, like, Japanese electro thing.
1: I actually think, and, you know, it made sense story-wise, I think that the song sung by Brie Larson's band uh-huh. was the best one in the movie, which I think... That one at least was my favorite, which made sense to me too because they were the ones that were supposed to be famous.
0: Yeah, my favorite band I think is the one that they face in the first round of the Battle of the Bands.
1: <laughs> they are my favorite.
0: Where they have like the three-second songs. Yeah, that are just like we hate you. Bomb.
1: Yeah, so they were my favorite, but in terms of the best song,
2: I think I just enjoyed the Brie Larson one most. That also might be because Brie Larson did have a music career, did you know? That's
0: right, I forgot about that. Brie Larson had a pop career. Really? Incredibly 2000s. (laughs)
2: This
0: was after, wasn't she the kid on some sitcom for a while too?
2: She was on United States of Terra. I can't remember if this was before or after. It was probably after That's definitely not a sitcom. No,
0: but there she was, like, the child <laughs> yeah. on some family sitcom at some point. What She's been it? around for ages.
1: Yeah. Is Room what, like, turned everything around and made her a big leading lady?
0: Yeah. Because, yeah. I mean, that's basically just her and Jacob Tremblay. Right. We don't even really see the dude who kidnapped them. And, like, she carries... Tremblay is great, but, like, she carries that movie.
1: Well, I mean... If you're acting alongside a child in a movie like that, you probably will need to carry some of the weight.
0: Yeah, although Jacob Tremblay is uncommonly good for a child actor. Yeah. Um. Anyway. The yeah. Start of this anyway. Movie, so the first, basically, one of the first things we learn is that Scott's dating a teenager.
1: Yes, seventeen-year-old who is. Quiet and shy and doesn't talk and can't even hold his hand, which shows that this 17-year-old is not mature enough to be dating a 23-year-old.
0: No, and Scott keeps insisting that it's not creepy because they haven't really done anything except like sit around and talk.
1: Which is also weird because it's more that he's now just hanging out with this 17-year-old but calling it dating, which feels really weird. I don't know. I liked Knives because she also kind of grows into her own. She very much does. Which is cool to watch. Her haircut's great.
0: Uh, do you like, <laughs> like her haircut uh, when she gets the highlights or before that?
1: So I actually thought the highlights looked good, but because the highlights were like a direct response to like trying to copy Ramona, I didn't like what they represented. But independent of that, I thought they actually were a cool look. Very 2010.
0: Yes, very much so. Um. So anyway, so Scott is dating Knives and they like bop around town. They go to the arcade. They he play makes some, her like,
1: play, pay for the game. Yes, he
0: makes her pay for the game. They play. It's. Set up like a DDR kind of situation, but it's a fighting game. Yeah. Yeah. And they're doing like some intense moves where they're like flipping over each other's backs. I was kind of disappointed that they didn't use that move in any of the fight scenes in the movie. I was waiting for it at the end. It seemed like an obvious setup.
1: I guess they were kind of referencing it at the very end when they fought next to each other, but I do agree that they should have brought some of the specific moves back. Yeah.
0: Yeah, because the whole that thing is like, oh, they've practiced their fights together.
1: Yeah, so it actually makes sense that they would be able to fight together.
0: Um, They go to a music store. They get some pizza. One of the ways that we can tell Scott sucks is that whenever they're talking, he always redirects her to talking about him and how cool he is.
1: Yeah, he really is just in it for the ego boost because she flatters him. That's the only reason he She's likes like, You're her. You're so
0: cool. Your brand's so good. She's like really into the sex bob-ombs. Yeah. Despite the fact that they are like, okay. Yeah. And... They have zero following, but she like makes herself T-shirts for them and screams at their concerts.
1: Yeah, I mean she's very supportive. That's important in a partner.
2: Yeah, that's true. But he just does not not reciprocate her. Yeah. So then one night Scott has a dream. Yeah. He has a dream, and it's Ramona, but he doesn't know Ramona. She just rollerblades past him. She's got, like, purple hair. Her purple hair, rollerblades, these weird steampunky goggles that I, then disappeared for the rest of the movie.
1: No, she wears them on her head in a few more scenes, but oh, it I really is. Okay. It's a weird choice. I'm like, so this supposed-to-be-super-hipster character with colorful hair is
2: also kind of steampunk? But, yeah. Okay. that Only in the goggles? Cool. It's a choice. Yeah, and then he has that... Dream, and then I think he sees her. Yeah, he sees her at the library with knives when they're getting like textbooks for her, and they talk about how he hasn't been in a library since middle school, and that's weird again.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and then he like proceeds to ignore everything in his life and only thinks about her
0: to just track down this rando that he had this dream about. And so then he's at a party hosted by Aubrey Plaza, who's very fun, as always. Michael Sarah, oh, that's right, I forgot about that. So he's at Aubrey Plaza's party. Uh, I believe she's playing Aubrey Plaza. Yeah. And he is asking Aubrey Plaza about her because he realizes that they know each other. And Aubrey Plaza forbids him from dating her.
1: Which it's never really explained why she is forbidding him from dating her.
0: It's kind Which of just that, like, every relationship he's in ends terribly.
1: Yeah, I guess that's it. It's, she's friends with Ramona, so doesn't want her to date him.
0: Yeah, he dated Allison Pill in high school, and she's still, like, angry about it.
1: Yeah, but is trying to pretend to not be, mostly for the band, because she's in the band, too. She's
0: kind of great in this movie.
1: <laughs> she is! I really like
0: her. She's yeah. just, like, weirdly intense. Just super intense, like, glaring at the camera, glaring at Scott. She's the person I most realize it with, but, like, Edgar Wright told the actors not to blink when they were on camera as much as possible because he wanted to get the like anime look from the comic but i notice it most of all with Alison pill because she just has this ferocious closed in but just like i'm about to explode at you right now i don't know how she does it yeah it's awesome um what was i talking about
1: Oh, they're at the party. Oh, yeah. He goes up to her and he uses the same...
0: Well, he this... goes up to Rona. First, he has this, like, crappy drawing of just, like, a round head with some hair. Oh, yeah. And he pulls yeah. it up. He's like, have you seen this girl? And somebody goes, yeah, she's over there.
1: Yeah, That's Ramona Flowers. I love it. So he goes up and uses the same Pac-Man line that he <laughs> this used. This is the uh, worst yeah, pickup line. I know. Terrible. He uses it on knives and then delivers it to her in an even more awkward way. And it's just so uncomfortable. Um, uh,
0: uh hey... hey. Do you know uh, Pac-Man was originally going to be called Puck-Man because in Japan the the flapping mouth thing is is called Puck um, but they changed it to Pac-Man in the United States cuz they were worried about about vandalism and about what would happen if you you know took Puck-Man and made a man
1: Essentially. <laughs>
0: That's his pickup line. That Let's is his pickup like line.
1: And then he says, I will leave you alone forever. Because for some reason, she doesn't seem to respond to that line. And proceeds to then follow
0: her around the party. He also, before leaving, says, am I dreaming? Which is another great pickup line.
1: But then he ordered, how does he track her down? He Albert orders- Albert Plaza pe-
0: tells him that she works, she just moved there from New York. She works for Amazon. Yes. And so he's like, oh, I need to order something on Amazon. That makes him look cool. Right. Do we learn what he ordered? No, we don't. He immediately
2: threw it in the trash.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he doesn't even open the box. So he just orders something on Amazon that goes and sits cross-legged in front of the door. Wallace calls him out. He's like, are you waiting for the package you just ordered?
2: But
1: Knives shows up and he still has not broken up with Knives, even though he's completely lost interest. And it's at this point that Knives starts to open up and like come into her own and talk about herself.
0: And that's the moment when he no longer cares about her. Yeah. But he's also not breaking up with her and is just kind of like wandering around, mostly ignoring her. Still back. Basking in her adulation. And then one night he has another dream of Ramona. He has a dream that she's roller skating towards him with the package. And then she shows up
1: with package. Over, yeah, a
0: package. He leaps out of the bed head and head. opens the door yeah. as she's knocking on it.
1: And so she gives him the package and basically is like, I won't sign this until you agree to go
0: out with me. That's why Amazon no longer makes you sign for packages. <laughs> <They had laughs> this movie. too many complaints from delivery people who were like, they keep seeing us going through the subspace highways in their brains. Like, I got my day to move on. I can't go on dates with all these people just to get these stupid packages. Now we're on like Amazon Home stuff. So like every time someone needs a pack of D cells, I gotta go on another date. I'm like all of their bands are just okay. <laughs> Nobody's got time for this. Come on. And so then Jeff Bezos was like, "All right, fine. We'll uh, we'll make it. Stop making them sign for packages. But uh, in exchange for that, you have to make no money." And they were like, "Worth it."
1: There were some solid Canada digs. You talking about the subspace highway reminded me of it, where she's just like, oh, you don't have that here. And there are a bunch of others. Like, it's a very Canadian movie. It is a very Canadian movie in that it makes fun of Canada a
2: lot.
0: But it's also like, they shot it in Canada. Yeah. But
2: they're not trying to pretend it's New York. No. Oh, no, this is New York, but it's actually Canada. They're like, oh, this is definitely Canada.
0: Although it is funny when Chris Evans is shooting his movie there. Um, He's doing it, like, shooting in Toronto, but in front of a backdrop of New York. Okay. (laughs) Which is a really nice touch about how the film industry uses Toronto as a standard for New York. But no, it's set in Canada. The comic is set in Canada. Brian Lee O'Malley is a Canadian. So it is, in its own way, it's celebratory about Canada in that you feel like it's done with love. Yeah. Not enough Tim Hortons, frankly. I was disappointed. zero. I think there's zero Tim Hortons.
1: With the filming in Toronto thing, I watched Orphan Black, and I could tell it was filmed in Toronto, but I assumed it was set in New York, because I'm so trained to think of that city as New York. So I was shocked when it turned out that they were actually Canadian and living... It. The whole
2: first season that they were in New York, I was very surprised. And they're like, no, this is Canada. I was like,
0: oh, okay. It's kind of like the Children's Hospital joke when they reveal that it's all set in Brazil. They're like, yeah, that's the law in Brazil, which is where we are right now.
2: <laughs> but
1: they also talk about the famous Jewish Lower East Side of... Uh,
0: is it Rio? I think it's Rio. That shows a masterpiece. <laughs> it's so funny. Um. So Scott and Ramona go on their date. They, like, are just, like, walking around in the snow. It's really cold because it's Canada, which is always cold. There's always snow in Canada. And so they're walking around through the snow. They're trudging past a polar bear through the ice storms. Mm -hmm. Um, They have to take shelter in an igloo at one point. It's very Canadian. There's a moose. They ride a moose for a while. None of this is true. They go and they walk through the park where there is some snow. I liked the line when he
1: shows up and she's already there. And he's like, oh, I thought you were too cool to be on time. (laughs) I appreciate that. As someone
0: who is usually on time, I I appreciate
1: that. I laughed at that line, but in my notes notes i wrote hey punctuality is cool it's the coolest
0: <laughs> it always used to throw off some of my friends in high school and i showed up to things on time and they'd be like what are you doing here but so anyway they go on their date and then remote is like it's cold let's go back to my place and hang out they go back she offers him tea
2: she pulls him through a door she pulls That's him through a subspace. a subspace highway door it's always confusing to me what that meant if it meant anything or if it was just a subspace I think it's just the subspace. She has
0: like a wormhole because she doesn't summon the door. She's like, oh, there's a door nearby.
2: So the subspace
0: stuff exists. She knows how to access them and Canadians don't. Oh, wow. I missed that.
1: It's so weirdly unimportant. Yeah.
0: I Because the thing (laughs) is like she always addressed it as like there's a door around here.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. It's so weird. I don't understand it. And it also has no relevance to the plot.
0: But that's because this movie has like eight different types of weird and the movie's like, don't don't worry about it. Just, yeah. just go along with it. Just, just follow along. So they go back to her place and then they start making out on the bed. They're like going to bone town, getting it on. And then Ramona's like, actually, you know what? Don't want to have sex with you. It's cold out. Like you can stay the night, but let's call it here.
1: But I can reserve the right to change my mind. Yes. Which you can.
0: Yeah. I thought that it was is a true. Very, uh,
1: yeah. Very strong portrayal of like consent. Yeah. And he's actually... What are the rare moments where Scott Pilgrim is a good person? He doesn't put up a fight or anything. Yeah. Scott's a turd. I feel like though part of the movie is that he fing sucks for 90% of the movie. Yeah, which, you know, that's fine. And And I don't the point. And I don't think it detracts from the movie that he sucks, but it's just like a part of his character is that he's a turd. Right. And Michael Sarah
0: plays it very well. He does. Michael Sarah, of course, I believe also Canadian.
1: Is he? is he? I assume that in real life, he's George Michael. And then in all other moments, he's
2: acting. All of his other things, he's just playing off of his personality, which is George Michael.
0: Um, yeah, he's from Ontario. He's from Brampton, Ontario, which is the most Canadian name for a town I've ever heard. Really Canadian. He's also an actual bassist. I know that he is
1: also a singer. I didn't know he was a real bassist.
0: I didn't know he was a singer. Yeah. He and Brie Larson should
1: start a band. I think he releases music under, I want to say it's Clay Pigeons is the name of his music career.
0: Fascinating. He is also crucially the author of one of my all-time favorite comedy Oh my essays, god, yes. Which is the essay uh, about the dude who accidentally text him from the wrong number my man jeremy oh. and about the friendship they build up via texting and it's all just like based on misunderstandings and they like get in text fights it's very very funny <laughs> i was heartbroken to discover it was fictional
1: yeah would recommend
0: reading my man jeremy it's a masterpiece i'll put it on social media um so anyway i think this takes us to point number two yes indeed it's at a
1: sex bobom's concert
0: yeah, so he and Ramona are like kind of flirting. Scott, crucially, is still technically with Knives,
1: who is still very big
2: fan
0: of Sex Bob-omb.
2: very much 17 and.
0: She's pumped about everything. Um, Scott gets an email at one point from somebody named Matthew who's like talking about a fight, and Scott just like, yeah, whatever. Stupid email sent to the wrong address, like Jeremy. Um, but then at the concert, it's a battle of the bands. They're playing to win a record deal with a cool indie producer, G-Man. <laughs> Which is G-Man and the Masters of the Universe. G-Man is not
1: the name of a cool indie producer. That is the name of a, well, exactly how the character
0: actually turns out to be. So anyway, at the concert, we have that one band that just, like, plays, uh, really three-second songs, like, We're so intense and cooler than you. And then the sex bob-ombs play. And then this dude bursts in and is like, Scott Pilgrim, I'm here to fight you. And they fight. Yeah, and it's cool. It's like video game style. It's like arcade video game style. There's a song and dance number.
1: Yeah, and he's not a good
0: singer. (laughs) Which I appreciate. I did too. (laughs) Kind of like that.
1: Yeah, and then he
0: mentions the seven X's in that moment, right? Yes, that he represents the League of Evil X's. Yeah. Which is based on something in Brian Lee O'Malley's life where he discovered that his wife had dated like three guys named Matthew. And so in his head, he like jokingly came up with the idea of like the League of Matthews. And then he turned that into the quest that his comic book character had to go through. The logical
1: trains that some writers make is so interesting to follow.
0: Other fun thing is that this dude Matthew Patel was Ramona's boyfriend for a week in 7th grade, but he counts as one of the evil exes.
1: Yeah, it was he was the only non-white non-jock guy in her middle school.
0: Yeah, we see this through there are like fun little flashbacks that are in kind of a comic booky style. They're drawn by Edgar Wright's brother. Yeah. Supposed to look like Brian Lee O'Malley's style. And that's like kind of a fun thing we see with some of Ramona's flashbacks.
1: And then we also do get some comic shots of how the actual comic looks too. Yes. In some moments of the movie, which I appreciated.
0: Um, For Scott's high school stuff, they did an Adult Swim like mini series of like mini-sodes called Scott Pilgrim versus the Animation, which show him in high school and it's like his relationship with Alison Pill and stuff like that. And that aired on Adult Swim like the day before the movie premiered. I know they were on the DVD. They might be, they're probably on the internet somewhere. I mean, let's be real.
1: Yeah, everything is.
0: So anyway, Scott defeats Matthew Patel. And Ramon is like, so if we're going to date, you have to defeat my seven evil exes. And that you know is the rest of the movie, pretty much. Yep. Scott moves through evil X's.
2: The next one he fights is Chris Evans. Do Who- they die when they explode? Yes. Me? Yes. Okay. Because I, wasn't I think he kills them. I think sort of finally clicked this watch that oh, they're actually dying. Because when I first saw them, I'm like oh, video games—they're not actually dead. No, no. Scott is a- Scott dies.
1: He is a serial killer.
2: Oh yeah. Because Scott dies, and the only reason he lives is because he got the extra
0: life against the uh, the twins. Right. So it's- if not for that he would have been deadzo.
1: There does seem to be an afterlife.
0: Here's what I want to know is when when a person is defeated and they die, they explode into coins. Do those coins have value?
1: They're shown to be like Canadian money.
0: Amazing. So he makes like a million dollars killing these dudes.
1: No, because he mentions after he defeats Matthew Patel, he goes, oh, coins. Oh, this isn't even enough for my bus fare.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. So they must be small value coins.
1: Yeah. I mean, he's first level. You don't get that many prizes in the first level.
0: Yeah, it's just the thing says a 1000 And I was like, maybe it's like, I don't know, $1,000.
1: Oh, no. Those are points. See, video games will. <laughs> you know I didn't spend much time. I don't play a lot of video games. I know. No, but they actually do. There's like points and money after battles in most video games. So I think that's what they're going for.
0: Okay. So then uh, Scott has to fight Chris Pine, who, what's his name? Lucas Chris Evans. Lee. Oh yeah, Chris Evans, excuse me. All these Chrises run together. <laughs> I know. So he has to fight Chris Evans, who is a, like, skateboard superstar, which is something we don't really have anymore. No, he's an
1: action star that also skateboards, but it doesn't- what he I he started
0: as a skateboarder.
1: Yes, I think so. Yeah. But it doesn't seem like he is skateboarding in his movies.
2: No, he definitely is. He skateboarded onto set.
1: Yeah, he has a skateboard, but he's never actually shown skateboarding in the movie. Oh, in my
0: imagination, he was, like, a skateboard action star. Where So, like, in his fights, he's instead of, like, riding a cool motorcycle, he's, like, riding a skateboard. And he's like, you best not mess with me. Hops on a skateboard, rides away, dons his sunglasses Terminator style. Maybe he's got, like, a machine gun as he skateboards down the street. It's like Die Hard with a skateboard. Sounds
1: very fun, but, Will, he's going for the Oscar. <laughs> That's true. The Academy is not going to vote for a skateboarder.
0: So, Scott Pilgrim shows up, and then Chris Evans is immediately like, I gotta fight you, because the seven evil exes. He does sound like this.
1: They dated in ninth grade. Right. And Scott kills him, and immediately- well,
0: Scott tricks him into trying to ride his skateboard- Oh, right. ...down a
1: very, 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 very long banister in a park. At the end of which he explodes. And all of the people working on this
0: movie are now out a lot of money. Yeah, I do like when he makes Scott fight all of his stunt doubles, which are- chris evans actual stunt doubles from other movies yeah so like those dudes are also arguably captain america yeah like very arguably
1: i mean i figured that he didn't need that many for this movie
0: yeah (laughs) although uh oh yeah this is the night they he goes to this with ramona after he has her over for a date and he was gonna make dinner for her which correct
2: me if i'm wrong the dinner is garlic bread which is a dinner that counts is it I'd count it. It's like not even that much garlic bread. I like garlic bread. (laughs) He also asks his roommate to
1: leave so he doesn't gay up the place, which again... Ah. Was not a fan of. <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, they live in basically a one room apartment with a mattress one on the floor. One bed. <laughs> yeah, a mattress on the floor. I really did shared find with it... Shared by Scott Wallace and an increasing number of dudes that Wallace is having sex with. Yeah, at the same time too. Yeah, I, I literally mean increasing number. There are yeah, more people in the, the bed English. each time. I do
1: find, I find it really funny when the how the bed does seem to just keep growing. Because at one point, like there are five people sleeping comfortably in
0: this bed. Yeah. Oh, by this point... Scott does break up with knives because Wallace gives him an ultimatum. He's like, you have to break up with knives or I'm going to tell your sister and then she'll tell everybody and then you'll be in real trouble. Yeah. Because Anna Kendrick, when Scott does something dumb, yells at him over the phone.
1: And Wallace also promises not to tell her while immediately telling her every time. Right.
0: Um, So... Scott is on another one of his like weird dates with knives, and they're like walking around the record store. And I was like, "You should come over for dinner and meet my parents." And he's like, "I really don't think I should." And she's like, "No, I I really want you to." And she tells him she loves him, and he's like, "We should stop seeing each other, um, because I'm I'm seeing someone else. Not that I'm going to tell you that. I would never admit to you that I'm cheating on you. But like, we should see other people. You're like in a really different place. You're 17. Um, uh, bye. Yeah, she is very sad. Yeah, she starts. Tr- Immediately, like, scheming to get him back, she starts sending flirty texts to young Neil, who's yeah. the backup bassist for Thank her sex bob To make Scott jealous,
2: who hair.
0: is
1: just introduced, also I enjoyed, as lives there, and yeah. not as, like, the
0: backup bassist. Yeah, they're all introduced with these, like, fun title cards saying who they are.
1: They have, like, their stats, essentially, like, as a video game, because, you know, this movie kind of references... Some video video games?
0: Just a little, a little bit. little bit. Occasionally.
1: Did you pick up on that? A little bit. It was like a little Easter egg.
0: So Scott keeps running into different evil exes. So he runs into Roxy, who is the reason that Ramona says evil exes and not evil ex boyfriends.
1: Again. Ugh. <laughs> she utters the phrase, it was just a
0: phase and I wanted to claw my skin off. Yeah. The thing that bummed me out about Roxy, I mean, there's that. The thing that bummed me out about her was that Roxy is wiping the floor with Scott, which is great. Fine. Yeah. But so then what happens is Ramona then has to fight Roxy. And I liked that because I liked Ramona being less passive. Yeah. And saying like, I want to date this guy. I want to fight, effectively fight for him. Yeah. But it kind of bummed me out that it was like going into the old thing of like male characters and female characters can't have a fight in action scenes. Yeah. So, like, you need the female characters to fight. So, like, if you want the female character to fight, you've got to have a female villain. And, like, if you want a hero to punch the female villain it's got to be a female hero i feel like what that leads to most often in action movies is you just like don't cast female villains because you're like oh we don't want to do that right um but just like let people do cool roles
1: i also did enjoy that she fought because it did show that she is interested in this relationship she's invested in it
0: yeah and during his flight roxy says that the league had decided gideon who we know already is ramona's most recent ex the league decided ramona could date gideon or date no one and ramona's just like gideon's a creep and fights him off. And then Scott is a real jerk to her. How
1: did Gideon convince her exes that it was supposed to be him?
0: I think because they're dumb.
1: Yeah. They're all dumb. They are all dumb. They are all willing to risk their lives for an ex.
0: They're all just really dumb, too. Yeah. And Matthew Patel sent him an email.
1: Yeah. Chris Evans gave up a very lucrative career. To skateboard basically off a
0: cliff. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's when Scott is a real jerk to her. He's like, I don't want to fight all these people. Like, what is there? Like, some laminated list of all these people I'm going to have to fight? And she's like, actually, there is. But also, like, you're being a turd. You're on your way to being the eighth evil ex. Which is, like, valid because he's being a real jerk to her. He is.
1: And then they don't talk for a while slash kind of break up.
2: Yeah, so this is our third point then, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, actually, now I've f***ed up. i put... Brie Larson sighting. Just because I'm really excited to see Brie Larson. Brie Larson, but she actually comes before Roxy. Roxy comes comes before and after Brie Larson. So he shows up and then he fights Todd, and then he fights Roxy. Right, right. I think. Yeah. So so Roxy shows up. He's
1: like, I don't want to do this right now. And then she says, Okay, later. And then he like runs into Brie Larson at the coffee shop.
0: Brie Larson is his ex, who like is now like on the rise with her band. Flash at Demon Head.
1: And then they get invited to go to the gig. To open to for To open
0: them. for this band. Which is like Brie Larson and Envy Adams like kind of digging at Scott. But it's also like a really nice thing to do. Yeah. A weird like because no matter what they're getting exposure. Right. Yeah. And so she's like kind of shoving her success in his face. Yeah. But it's also useful for the sex bob So the rest of the band is like, we're doing this. We're not going to let you tell us not to do this.
1: Right. So then after they go backstage and she's with Todd, who she cheated on Scott with, who is played by Superman himself, another superhero, Brendan Routh.
0: Yes, of course. Right. Yes.
1: Superman himself. He gets superpowers from being a vegan. (laughs) I like this. (laughs) He went to Vegan Academy.
0: And the first time he says it, you're like, this is a joke, but then there's literally a vegan
2: Yeah, that's what
1: I... uh, I think it was Kim makes a mention, like, oh, did you learn this at Vegan Academy? And then they have an actual shot of him going to... Vegan, vegan Academy, Academy. Yeah
0: because Larson is like Yeah like we were going great And then he had to go to Vegan Academy <laughs> Yeah I love that And I love that This is another person actually That Scott doesn't take down himself Just like Roxy Because yeah. the vegan police come and take down yeah.
1: Todd For too
0: many sure. violations of vegan protocols Right
1: after Scott tricks him into drinking half and half
0: <laughs> Right which is his third violation
1: yeah so that he loses his powers and Scott's able to defeat him slash murder him yes
0: hes killed him he is the yeah. one who is most clearly murdered yeah yeah he wants him
2: so then um then Roxy right then Roxy and they break up because
0: Scott's a turd and he's being grumpy about it and we're just like Scott stop being a turd like you are being another evil ex. You're terrible. Yeah.
1: They break up and then...
0: He, he has to fight the twins. So his band has another... They have, The Sex bob have the next part of the Battle of the Bands, and they're facing off against these two twins. And Ramona's like, oh, I dated them.
2: And we find out that she dated both of them. At the same time? Unclear. I think one after the other. Okay. For some reason, that was...
0: It's never clarified. Yeah, it's
2: never... But like, because on the list she gives them, it says four and five, but then there's like a little dash and it's just...
0: Yeah, worth noting, these two, they're Japanese actors, uh, they did not speak English. So Edgar oh. Wright had to direct them, like, using gestures, which seems unnecessary. Yeah, I'm like, like... I'm all for hiring, like, diverse actors and things like that, but I'm sure there were two Japanese Canadian actors who spoke English.
1: Yeah, that's the... It's, like, good to have, you know, Japanese actors involved, but... At the same time, you should be able to speak the same language. Yeah,
0: this seems like a lot of effort. Yeah. Um, but so he fights them. This, this is like a big musical fight scene where they're like playing bands back and forth. Because the idea is this part of the battle, the bands the bands are playing simultaneously.
1: Yeah. So then there's a giant gorilla and dragon fight.
0: Yeah, there's like these like 3D like avatars. Of the music. Which are pretty cool. Yeah. This is the fight that Beck scored.
1: Yeah. So then the sex Bob-ombs win.
0: But then they get out there and Ramona is leaving and she's like, oh, I'm getting back together with Gideon. Like, I can't resist him.
1: Yeah. Who is Jason Schwartzman in an incredibly Jason Schwartzman Uh, role.
2: Super on brand for him. It was perfect.
0: Yeah. So now she like fully breaks up with him. She's like, I'm with Gideon. Like, bye. And Gideon's a huge jerk. He's even an even bigger jerk than Scott. Oh, yeah. Thanks Scott, like, I guess we both win, cause like, you were with her, and now because you were with her,
2: I'm with her again. Peace out, dude. Yeah. That little bow thing. I expected him to say namaste. Oh, yeah. Us, I feel like it. Jason Schwartzman has done that little bow
0: in more than one movie. Oh, I'm sure. But he also, like, tries to rub it in where they discover that G-Man, master of the universe, yeah. is Gideon. And he's like, tell you what, like, doesn't even matter how you do in the last part of the battle. The band's like, I'll give you a record deal. Like, I like you guys. Uh, and I like that you got me back with Ramona. Yeah, so he signs the sex bob-ombs. But Scott refuses to sign. So right. So the sex and, bob-ombs minus Scott.
1: And then young Neil shows up Neil. immediately and signs
0: the paper. And he gets to just be Neil now. Yes. Yeah, so, he's now the bassist. Yeah. Good for Neil. Good for Neil. Yeah, the real hero of this story is Neil, who rises quickly. So this takes us to point number four, right?
2: Yes. Uh, which is the final boss of the movie? Which is- It's Gideon. Yeah, they're going to the chaos. Yeah, chaos theater.
0: It's a hideous looking space. It's Gideon's new club.
2: He says
1: it's too cool for Toronto to understand, but it's really <laughs> just a gross building.
0: <laughs> it's ridiculous. So Scott shows up and he's like, all right, Gideon, I'm gonna fight you. And the sex bob bombs are planned, but they like look really bland and vacant-eyed. And yeah. Scott's like, all right, I'm gonna fight you. And they fight. And they're, like, doing
2: mystical sword like, flaming mystical yeah, swords. Power of love, a sword pops out of his chest. Yes. Yeah. Oh, because he says that he's in love with Ramona.
0: Right. After uh-huh.
2: he said he was in lesbians with her. Yeah. I forgot about
0: that. <laughs> a solid 2010
1: <laughs> L-word joke. Right. Wallace yeah. tells
0: Scott that he should use the L-word with Ramona. And he's like, lesbian?
1: Uh, no, the other one. Lesbians? Yeah. So then later, Scott says, Ramona, I'm in lesbians with you.
0: And so now at this club, he's like... Because I'm in love with her. And so then he gets the power of love sword, uh, which tells him you don't need money. You don't need fame. You don't need no credit card to ride this train. Oh, my God.
1: So he- And this sword might just save your life. So he actually That's is- That's the power de- of love. Well shut up. He actually is defeated by Gideon.
0: Yes. So Gideon beats him in no small part because Knives shows up right knives has in her pursuit of winning scott back or revenge they've mixed together into passion and rage and she starts getting in the fight too and then ramona is fighting on gideon's side it's a whole thing and scott winds up getting killed and he dies but it was the twin fight when he got the extra life right yes he snagged a one-up yeah so you got a one-up Exactly. So he's able to come back, do the fight all over again. And this time he's learned his lesson. He apologizes to Kim. He says, you guys rock.
1: Literally. Literally. Is very nice to everyone except for Gideon. And then instead of- Gives the speech to Gideon again. Yeah. But instead of- Also, it just gets into it instead of goofing around.
0: And this time, instead of a flaming red sword of love, he gets a purple sword as he declares that what he learned was self-respect. Power of (laughs) self-respect. Yeah. (laughs) He's no longer like- needing other people to constantly compliment him like knives yeah he's no longer like crapping on everything around him he's like you know what like i've got some good people in my life i've got some good stuff going on and i need to appreciate that and appreciate myself
1: yeah it's also like why are you still fighting gideon then but then it's also like gideon's a dick because if you're not fighting for ramona
0: he's fighting for himself
1: he's fighting for himself but gideon
0: has manipulated him for that's true three weeks yeah evil exes after him he's manipulated his band and basically gotten them into like weird zoned out music slavery
1: true he is worth fighting.
0: Yeah, so he's now he's fighting for himself. Right. And now he's able, along with the help of Knives yeah, with Ramona, who, who he, has appal- been under, like, mind control of Gideon. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because he implanted, Which, like, a chip in her.
1: I think it's supposed to be, it's like... a real upgrade moment. I think that's supposed to be like a emotional, abu- like a symbol yeah. for emotional abuse and I agree. why she keeps going back to him. So when Knife shows up, instead of them fighting, he just kind of stops the fight immediately and apologizes to both of them for cheating being a
0: dick. So yeah, he confesses in both fights to cheating on them. But in the first fight, he's like, you guys just like, let it go. Like, no big deal. And they're like, no, this is terrible. And they turn on him too. But in the second fight, he like tells them right away. He's like, hey, I did this. It was wrong. I was cheating on both of you. Uh I'm terrible. Yeah. I'm a terrible dude.
1: Yep. And then they join forces. Is a, a
0: movie about a toxic man who has to learn to reconcile for that.
1: Yeah. So then they all join forces and defeat Gideon.
0: That's right, and he's dead.
1: And he's dead. Which leads us to our
0: fifth and final point. Before that, they he fights uh Negascot. Oh right, he's gotta fight Scott <laughs> After Gideon, like the dark alternate Scott shows yeah. up, who is like Polaroid-switched Michael Sarah, Which is 100% a uh, red-herring throwaway joke that I appreciated. <laughs> yeah, because you don't even see the fight. He just, like, tells everyone to leave, and then the two of them walk out of the building being like, hey, you know, it's great. Like, let's yeah, meet very... up. Let's get brunch sometime. Yeah. yeah very
2: classic Michael Sarah. His, like, alter ego is also just, like, a very nice sort of quiet person it would have also been funny if he was like super gregarious and like cracking yeah. jokes uh, and really yeah. charismatic like, or really you everyone, everyone liked nega scott, scott much more than the real scott because <laughs> yeah <Real> scott sucks <laughs> oh so then like he's really good yeah, yeah oh, that would be I, fun i thought that at first when i was watching today i was like what if they had instead just gone with nega scott's the one that everyone likes because he isn't an asshole right what if nega scott killed real scott and replaced him and <laughs> everyone liked it better
1: <laughs> i actually had paused it to run to the bathroom, like. Pretty soon before this So I knew how much time there was So when he showed up I was just like I guess something really dumb is about to happen
0: here (laughs)
2: Because
0: I knew there wasn't enough time For a fight in that moment So anyway at this point Ramona is like look Scott I'm gonna skip town Yeah Um, You guys you and Knives like Have a nice time together I'm out of here Right Which in the original ending of this movie Scott and Knives ended up together But Mm -hmm. then they changed it
1: Which I actually think is better, because, like, while I like Knives, I think it is more believable for her to move
0: into something else. They've both grown in different directions. Yeah. And we get a weird sense with Knives where, like, there is a a degree of reconciliation that I think we see by the end of the fight. Yeah. But it's not total.
2: No. Uh, Their relationship
0: has fundamentally changed.
2: Right. And that says she knows she's cooler than him, which is true. Objectively. (laughs) He (laughs) nives very much. Yeah.
0: So then Scott calls out after Ramona and is like, can we start again? And they go off through another interdimensional subspace door.
1: So cute. And And that's the end of the movie.
0: This is a fun movie. It was. I enjoyed it. It's like playing with format and with lots of different influences very well. It's saying like, oh, here's another idea. Let's throw it into the big stew. And Edgar Wright's like, ah, yes. Throw in some other video game things or, or a band or Beck and put it in my stew and just
2: stir it around. I was helping some, uh, some kids with witch voices recently. <laughs> You're big on the stew. It works, though. Like, yeah, the movie throws together like a ton of references, a lot of stuff, and you'd expect it to be slightly more like, derivative, or, like, follow, like, a sort of path, but it dodges a lot when you expect it to do one thing.
1: Yeah. I mean, the thing is, it just kind of works. Yeah. If you were told, like, watch this movie that is a video game, comic book, blah, 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 you'd be... <laughs> Banned. Banned, yeah. Uh, there's a Seinfeld riff at one point. Right. You'd be like, what? <laughs> and th- But it actually, all of the elements work together, yeah. surprisingly.
0: But what about the romance? Do you think the romance is believable? Um...
1: It's really tough to say in this one because of the whole like evil X's element thrown in kind of makes it weird to judge.
0: Yeah but I think I think we can but deal with it just in terms of like Scott and Ramona it down, and, yeah. Knives and their interactions with one another.
1: I think so I but think not is. super believable. Yeah
2: Danny what do you think? So i read something a bit ago, and I super agree with it. It was saying how both Scott, which this is apparent, and Ramona are pretty self-centered and selfish people when they go into this relationship. And like Ramona's always thinking about her exes and like how she is sort of just obsessed with that and doesn't ask Scott about himself much. And Scott obviously doesn't care about really anything but himself. And towards the end, like, I don't think the relationship's really believable until the end, like how they're, he's fighting for her, but it doesn't really feel earned. But at the very end, when they've sort of both kind of grown up and had to take a look at themselves... Um, then they're going off into the doorway, like walking rather than in the beginning when she's pulling him into the doorway. Um, they both walk into it. It felt more believable that they're ready to give it a shot on their own without like all the baggage that they have. Like Scott thinking about Brie Larson's character, cause he's still like pining over her from that breakup and Ramona going in without the weight of her seven evil exes. So that part felt like slightly earned, but the rest of it was sort of just like, was along for the ride
0: so if you had to rate this out of 10 where one is just like completely unbelievable howard the duck and 10 is a hundred percent believable where would you rate the romance of scott pilgrim
2: Uh, uh under five i would say a three
0: for comparison, three is while you were sleeping where a man is hit oh, by okay. a train that was, three, yeah. and a woman that pretends
2: movie. to be in love with him. That movie is a masterpiece. That movie is so insane. I love it. My dad loves that movie. I watched it with him and I was just getting frustrated. <laughs> I was like 13. I'm like, why, am I, why are we watching this? Can we turn Because it? like, it's no, a I masterpiece. <laughs> right, they get married a on a train at the end <laughs>
0: oh of that God. movie. Four people interrupt that wedding. The one in the hospital.
1: <laughs> yeah, I was thinking a five or a six.
2: Yeah. I, think, I think it's probably a five.
1: Yeah, I think a five. A five
2: feels comfortable after hearing the that's a, <laughs> yeah. that a bit too harsh
1: what did we give a one to recently which movie was that
2: I know down, oh, with, down love with love was, was a fun, fun one. one and maybe how to lose a guy in 10 days was an unfun one yep that was it You guys, How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days Haters? Uh, Oh, well, yes, we
1: are How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days
0: Haters. I
2: think it's overrated. That movie is dreadful.
1: That movie could be, like, a decent movie if it was half an hour shorter. So long. But now it is just a bad movie. It's a dreadful film.
0: Uh, Shout out to that episode. I think it's a fun one. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Okay. Uh, Do you guys think Scott and Ramona are dateable? No. No. Solid no. Absolutely. Correct. But if you had to date one person in this movie, who would it be? I don't want to kill a bunch of people <laughs>
2: but i don't want to date scott so i think i would choose you can date one. anybody else anyone. any other oh, character anyone yeah kim <laughs> oh, good, good pick strong choice yeah i appreciate the angst and anger anna kendrick whatever his sister's name was
0: oh yeah yeah, yeah. um she according to wikipedia it's she plays stacy pilgrim
2: oh. i would choose stacy
0: Yeah, she's cool. I'm good with Anna Kendrick.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, she doesn't have much except for being the voice of reason, which is why she is an appealing person to date. (laughs) Uh, There's also Bill Hader doing some
0: voiceover, and I would date him too. Where? Occasionally, there's some voiceover that's by Bill Hader. Uh,
2: Oh, yeah. Very
0: infrequently. Oh, yeah. That voice sounded familiar, but I just it it like a
2: generic voiceover voice.
1: Yeah, it's because he's, I guess, just doing generic video game
2: voiceover, (laughs) so you don't notice it as him. Yeah. Do you think Scott and Ramona would stay together? No. I would like to be hopeful and say yes, but their track record's pretty poor. I think yeah.
1: they're also both fundamentally self-centered people, so my hopes are low.
2: Yeah, I,
0: I kind of doubt it.
1: I think that about does it.
0: Yeah, it probably does. So that means that it's time for one of our favorite weekly segments. <laughs> oh my god! Hashtag PD These summaries are so ridiculous. <laughs> So, Danny, we have been working our way through the Princess Diaries novels. Oh. We have summaries sent to us by listener Rachel R., and we have been cranking our way through. So, as a reminder, in last week's installment, Princess in Training, Mia entered her sophomore year. Her boyfriend, Michael, had started school at Columbia. And, by the way, our main man, Boris, best character in the series, he got hot over the summer, and he's now dating Tina, the daughter of an oil sheik. Mia is mad that her English teacher is too hard. Meanwhile... Lana tells Mia that Michael is going to expect her to do it, which means sex, but it's do it, capital D, capital I. Lily nominates Mia to run for student council president against Lana and against Mia's will. Her plan is for Mia to resign so that Lily can then take her place because Lily is a terrible friend. And just a bad person. Yes, she's all around dreadful. So today we are going to be covering the next installment of the series, Party Princess. This is again from Rachel's. Summary. This one has a ton of competing plot lines, so buckle in and prepare for a wild ride. Mia, as student council president, side note the entire student council is sophomores, has bankrupted the student council by buying fancy recycling bins. Student council is supposed to pay for senior commencement and they have no money to do so. Why is student council paying for graduation? Mia is convinced that this senior named Amber Cheeseman is going to beat her up for running out of money for graduation. Amber has never been mentioned before now. Everyone, friends, Michael, etc. suggests that the student council sell candles to raise more money, but Mia really hates that idea for some reason, so Grandma's like, we're going to put on a musical here in the plaza, which I will write and direct, (laughs) which I would love to see Julie Andrews do in one of these movies. It will be about Princess Rosagund of Genovia, who once was forced into marriage and strangled her husband with her braid on her wedding night. This has been mentioned in past books, Princess Rosigund, let's get a spinoff about her. It will be called Braid and will be a huge success. Mia and all her friends audition and Mia gets cast as the lead, which she's very upset about. Understandably, since she has no acting experience. What is this vanity project that Grandmare is putting on? But she has to do it or else Grandmare will tell Amber Cheeseman, who is also in the play, that they're out of money. What is happening? The only other person in the play who isn't one of Mia's friends is the guy who hates it when they put corn in the chili. He's been mentioned in several of the previous books. Apparently, he's a loner weirdo who once threw a fit in the cafeteria about the fact that there was corn in the chili. Anytime Mia thinks she's gonna become a social outcast, she references him. But now he's in the play and we find out that his name is John Paul Reynolds Abernathy IV, but he goes by JP. He's an aspiring screenwriter whose dad is in the industry. He's relatively nice and he hates corn in chili because Sean Penn is his idol yuck. Oh god no. And once when Sean Penn came to dinner at his house, yuck. His parents told a story about finding whole pieces of corn in his diaper when he was a baby. He's now playing Mia's love interest the stable boy in the musical. Sean Penn like locked Madonna in a house. Yeah he's a horrible human. He is awful. Meanwhile Michael and Lily's parents go out of town so Michael plans to throw a party at his house. This freaks Mia out because she's gonna have to act like a party girl or title drop party princess? So she goes to Lana for advice. Lana tells her to drink and do a sexy dance. She does, even though, quote, beer tastes like skunk which I, Rachel, 100% agree with. But does the sexy dance with JP instead of Michael? Exclamation point! Is Michael upset? Not at all. Is Mia? Incredibly. Also, Lily has started a school literary magazine called Fat Louie's Pink Butthole. Mia is not happy about the name. Fat Louie is Mia's cat. Mia had submitted a story to it called No More Corn about a boy who becomes upset about corn in his chili so much that he throws himself in front of the F train. Now that she's friends with JP, she needs to ensure that he doesn't read it. Despite her constant communication issues with Michael, she somehow is able to bring herself to just say to him, Hey! Please don't read this story. (laughs) He's very nice about it. But then it turns out that Lily put in multiple very sexually explicit stories... So all the magazines get confiscated and he never has the chance to read them. The play goes well. There are like 10 days between auditions and opening night. Most of the actors have never acted before. There's a diary entry about how hard it is to learn blocking and the fact that Mia had previously thought actors just walked wherever they felt like during plays. For anyone who's involved in the performing arts, it's hilarious. Anyway, the play goes well. Michael sneaks on in JP's costume and performs the final kiss and they make enough money that graduation is saved. Also notable, Mia makes a list of the people she loves most in the world. I don't remember all of them, but the top five are one, Fat Louie, two, baby rocky three michael four her mom five i think her dad and lily are tied mia lily should not be on this list stand up for yourself
1: i can't with these books these books are madness
2: oh my broken brain thought you were saying princess bride at first i'm like there's a series of books about this there's one yeah so i was like wow, oh, this is very confusing i actually know a lot about this because my sister was obsessed with the princess uh diaries movies so i've seen all two there's two of them I mean, yeah I've seen I've seen two of them in theaters i saw the second one in theaters i did not see the first in theater so some of this makes sense because some of this is in the movies right like very vaguely all these characters are in the movie yeah what is this the thing about corn though also <laughs> corn doesn't belong in chili so correct I it does not that, so This is like the seventh book. What I recently discovered- There's seven? There's more than that. How many
0: are there total? I think there's 12. Oh, God. And then there's one that's like Mia as an adult that's like kind of in a more adult audience. Rachel just read that one. She hasn't gotten me a summary yet. Although what I recently learned from Fiona is that there are like half books. There's a Princess Diaries book six and a half, which I don't think we- I don't know if we have those in here. I don't know if we need to add more. (laughs) There's definitely a something and three quarters. Oh, no.
1: Only time that worked is Lion King one and a half, and no one else should try it. It also mostly worked. I'm not sure how well that would hold up. Lion King one and a half. I loved it. Haven't tried watching it in a long time. I don't know if I need to, but I do sing the Dig a Tunnel song all the time.
0: All right. uh, Looking ahead. Yep. What's next? Uh, It's going to be Halloween time. Spooky scary. So we will be covering the love story of Halloween. Bride of Frankenstein.
1: Yeah, so I know nothing about it except that it is good and often considered better than the original. This is the one from the 30s. Yep. So I'm really excited.
0: Yeah, it should be good. Until then, of course, you can follow the show on Facebook and Twitter at Heart of Podness and email us questions or movie suggestions at heartofpodness at gmail.com.
1: Please make sure you rate, review, and subscribe to the show so other people can find it too.
0: All right, last question. Danny, you're going first here. What's the best piece of dating advice
2: you got from this movie? Um, fight. Every single person who's ever kissed your girlfriend.
0: Strong advice. Okay. Uh, Mark, what do you think? Um,
1: hmm. Maybe some negative advice that didn't work is uh, don't cheat.
0: Oh, interesting. <laughs> yeah, hot take. That's an interesting one. I would say give somebody just garlic bread when you promise them dinner, because that apparently works out pretty well for Scott, and Danny seems to think it's a good idea. Yes, like- It's true. (laughs) I would be so annoyed if someone (laughs) had just offered me garlic. It's not a meal. All right. Well, until then, I am a ginger. And I'm
1: gay. So between the two of us, we know everything there is to know about romance. Bye.
0: Bye!